the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. workers. We're all to be about God's business in His kingdom's work throughout uh, our world. And uh, so as he begins here in chapter 10 to call his 12 apostles, uh, you'll note with me that these are average, ordinary people. There's nothing charming about these guys. There's nothing special about them. They're not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, These guys are common people. uh, Several of them are fishermen. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about the disciples that Jesus chose. In Christ's time, there were many people who would have been considered to be good disciples people who had been studying the Bible for years and had been a part of the religious authority. But those people aren't the people Jesus chose. Jesus chose the common people of the day. He chose the ones who didn't have any experience. He chose normal people to do the work of His Father. He does the same today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So at the end of chapter 9 of Matthew, just to kind of get the rolling context here, uh, Jesus talks about how uh, the harvest, the last verse of chapter 9, verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, now notice that because it says there in verse 37, I just read it, that he said to his disciples. So he's calling his disciples to beware of the fact that the world is ripe unto harvest. And Jesus says, I, I need a few people. Uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest, and he is the Lord of the harvest, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. Now, they must have just prayed quickly because all of a sudden they sign up right here in chapter 10. I don't know how willingly, but he, he's going to sign them up to be workers in his harvest field because chapter 10 gives us the list of the 12 apostles, and they will be his workers in the harvest field. As are we, not that we are apostles, but we're all workers. We're all to be about God's business in his kingdom's work throughout uh, our world. And uh, so as he begins here in chapter 10 to call his 12 apostles, uh, you'll note with me that these are average, ordinary people. There's nothing charming about these guys. There's nothing special about them. They're not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, These guys are common people. uh, Several of them are fishermen, uh, farmers, tax collectors. Uh, 
You name it here, I mean, I mean, the Lord just chooses some very average, ordinary people. But that's the beauty of how God often glorifies himself, because he uses very unsuspecting people, very ordinary people, to do his extraordinary work. And so, if you look at yourself and you think, I'm not sure how God could use me, when you get through reading this list, you're going to have a whole new appreciation for how God can use you. Because these guys here, it's amazing that we're here today. I mean, we're here today because of the faithfulness of, this 12, of these 12, at least for the 11 of them. Uh, but, but, you'll, but you'll notice, because of their faithfulness, I mean, the church is birthed. Jesus hands the baton of ministry off to about 120 gathered in an upper room, and you read into the book of Acts, and among them are 11 of these 12. And from that, the church is born, and we're here today about 2,000 years later because of the faithfulness of these average, ordinary people. So in chapter 10, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him. Now, a disciple is just a student, but they're going to get a new title here in a moment. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, he's about to dispatch them because, again, he just said, hey, the field is wide into harvest. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest sent out workers into his harvest field. And he's not going to send them out unequipped. He's going to equip them. And he gives them authority. If you have a King James Bible, it says power, but it is the Greek word exousia. Exousia, and it really translates authority. This is not the same thing that the church gets at the time of Pentecost and ongoing. We get dunamis, that is power. We get a different measure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be equipped to do what God calls us to do. These guys got authority, but they didn't get dunamis till later. The authority, the exousia, is this temporary dispensation that God would give them to enable them to do just what he's calling them to do. He says, I want you to, they're going to heal every disease and sickness. They're going to drive out demons, evil spirits. They're going to go about, they're going to preach the, the good news of Jesus. And so... God is going to equip them here, and so Jesus gives them authority, exousia, to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these, verse 2, are the names of the twelve apostles. And there we have the word apostle. It is the first time that that word is used, apostle. And it is a word that just simply means sent out ones, literally in Greek. An apostle is a sent out one. And these twelve in particular are the ones that Jesus selects to be sent out to do his work. Now, Luke's gospel tells us something that Matthew doesn't. Luke tells us that before Jesus chose these 12, that Jesus prayed all night. He had an all-night prayer meeting between himself and the Father before he selected these 12. Now, again, you know, I'm not trying to be too hard on these guys because I, I think of myself just lumped in with them as just another knucklehead. But I'm wondering if it took Jesus all night to pray because he's really thinking, are you sure about this, Father? I mean, yeah. some of these guys you want me to pick. Really? Seriously? I don't know. But here we go. Here's the list. And he begins here with Simon. I'm going to throw up the names here and we're going to talk a little bit about these 12. Not, not very long, but here's the first six. And every list throughout the gospel where it lists the names of the apostles begins with Simon Peter. And he's right here at the beginning. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, remember, this guy uh, has some really strong attributes, and he has some not-so-great attributes. I mean, the, the strength of his attributes is that he is courageous. He's the kind of guy that will try anything first. Remember when they were in the 
in the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and it started to get stormy, and Jesus is walking on water. And uh, Peter's like, I'm going to try that. And he gets out of the boat, and he actually has a short measure of success, but he's the only one out of all the 12 that decides, I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to have some faith, and I'm going to try to walk on water as well. And he does just really temporarily, and the Bible says that he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm and, you know, the winds and the waves, and, and, then, it, and then he began to sink. But you got to give him kudos for at least having the effort, okay? He's the only one that got out of the boat to try something. So he's courageous. This guy is, uh, you know, he, he is adventurous. He, he obviously is somebody who is a, a leader. I mean, God's going to use him to be the first to preach an evangelical message in the book of Acts, and 3,000 people are going to get saved. So this guy has some leadership qualities. He's adventurous. He's courageous. But sometimes our strong points will also be our Achilles heel. Because as, as adventurous as he is and as courageous as he is to try things, he often has foot in mouth disease. You know, because he's saying things before he really thinks. So he's just launching stuff out there and, he, and then he thinks about it later. Some of you can relate to this personality, right? You say stuff and then you wish you could kind of pull it back in and reword it, but it's just out there now. And Peter's that kind of guy. So Jesus is, says on one occasion to his disciples, hey, son of man's going to be betrayed by sinful men, going to be put into the hands of the Gentiles, going to be crucified. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. Peter pulls Jesus aside, the Bible says, and rebukes him. Peter rebuking the son of God. Says, this isn't going to happen to you, Jesus. Not on my watch. No, indeed, it's not going to happen. Who do you think you are saying such nonsense? You know, he goes on like this, and that's when Jesus had to look at him and say, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So, you know, Peter's this kind of guy, and again, he's the kind of guy that, oh, I'll never, I'll never disown you, Jesus. All these other guys will. I never will. He overestimates his own, you know, abilities, and then he ends up denying Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. So, you know, he's kind of a mixed bag here. He's impulsive, uh, but yet he's confident. He is, you know, a coward at the same time because he denies Jesus, but yet he's kind of a born leader, and, and so he, he is what he is. But he's a fisherman. He lives in the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida translates in Hebrew, house of fish. And originally it was on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee now has... has uh, retracted from Bethsaida, and it's not as broad as in, and to the north as it used to be, but he used to live in a fishing village called Bethsaida, which used to be on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And he has a brother, Andrew. He's listed here. He's the next guy listed. After Simon Peter comes his brother, Andrew. Uh, Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus in the Gospels. He's always just trying to introduce people to Jesus, and, and he introduced a Peter to Jesus, and John tells us in John 1.42. Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. Uh, the Bible says also that in John 6.9, uh, Andrew uh, brought the boy with the little lunch bag to Jesus when they needed to feed the 5,000. Andrew's like, well, I, got, I found this little guy. He's got, you know, five little loaves and two fishies. Maybe we can steal his little lunch bag and you can uh, do something with this, Jesus. And so a- Andrew does that. So he's kind of charming in that way. Then you have James and John. Oh, these, these are some rich characters. James and John, these are brothers. Uh, they are um, sons of Zebedee, but Jesus renames them <laughs> Boanerges. Boanerges is a combination of some Aramaic words, ben meaning son, and regaz meaning thunder. Jesus renames them. Well, you might be called sons of Zebedee, but you guys are kind of hotheads. We're going to call you sons of thunder. 
And that's what sons of thunder means. They have a temper. Boys with temper is really what that translates literally. And Jesus sees in them that these are some guys who kind of get out of control from time to time. And so he nicknames them Boanerges. You guys are just really sons of thunder. You guys are hotheads. Because it tells us in Luke's gospel, one example of it, that Jesus and his disciples are passing through Samaria. Now, Samaria was not often that kind to the Jews. And likewise, there was this, you know... uh, prejudice between Jews and Samaritans, not, of course, by Jesus by any means, but they go through Samaria, and because they're Jews, the Samaritans will not give Jesus and his disciples lodging overnight. And you know what James and John do? They go to Jesus and they say, hey, these Samaritans, they don't want to give us lodging overnight. Why don't you just pray down fire from heaven, and why don't we just toast them? (laughs) That's what the Bible says. These guys are the ones. Why don't you just call down fire from heaven? Let's just watch them smoke. I think that would be a fun thing to do. How about, I just haven't seen some fried Samaritans lately, and so why don't you just smoke a few? And, and, that's what, and Jesus has to rebuke them. You know, I, I envision at times like this, these guys are saying stuff like this to Jesus. Jesus, you know what? These Samaritans, they won't give us lodging. Why don't you just fry them? I have this picture at that moment. Jesus is just like... Oh, hey, Father, can we get somebody else? I mean, these are the A apostles. Where are the B apostles? I mean, I, you know, I, anyway, so these guys are, you're going to see yourself in this story here. If you haven't already, if you haven't seen yourself in Peter, maybe you see yourselves in James and John. And then we get to Philip. Philip, uh, Jesus has a, a few conversations with Philip uh, in John chapter 6. Uh, the Bible says at the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus turns to Philip and says, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? And the Bible says in John 6 that he said that to test him, though we already had in mind what to do, Jesus did. But he throws it out there to Philip. Where do you think we're going to get some food to feed all these people? And Philip goes, I don't really know. This is going to take about eight months wages to get food for these people. What are we going to do about this, Jesus? Now, he was saying that because it would have been the moment for Philip to say, I don't really know, but with you, all things are possible. But instead, Philip's like, I don't really know. You know, I I looked at my wallet lately, and I'm a little short and changed, and I don't know what we're going to do. Hey, hey, I mean, you're with the Son of God. In John 14, it's even more embarrassing. There's a conversation in John chapter 14, when Jesus gets through saying in verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I'm going to the Father. And, and he's telling these, them in advance. And Philip says, Jesus, why don't you just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us? You know, why don't you just make God show up and then that'll be good for us? Hello, Philip. And then that's when Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long that you would ask, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh. But here they are. We're going to change the world with this bunch. When you get to number six, you have Bartholomew. Bartholomew is also probably known as Nathaniel in in the other Gospels. Number seven on the list is Thomas, also known, of course, as the Doubter. He wasn't there the first day when Jesus rose from the dead and revealed himself to his disciples. And so Thomas is going around going, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. I ain't going to believe it. I don't care what you guys say. I'm going to believe it unless I see it. I got to see it before I can believe it. Can you relate to some of this? And so Jesus shows up the next week and says to Thomas, why don't you put your hands in my side and feel the, feel the marks in my hands and, and believe. And then Thomas believes. He's also called Didymus in John eleven twenty six, which translates twin. So we had a, a twin somewhere. We don't know anything about his twin. Number eight on the list is Matthew, the one who writes this gospel that we're reading. His, he is also known by his Jewish name as Levi, and he's the only one 
uh, who gives him his own profession here in the list. Nobody else is referred to as the fisherman or, or uh, a farmer, but he refers to himself as the tax collector. He takes ownership of the fact that he was not well-liked and was despised pretty much by his fellow Jews for being a tax collector, but he puts it right out there. He says, that's who I was before I came to know Christ. Number nine on the list is James. This is a second, another James. Uh, he is known as James, son of Alphaeus, versus James earlier, who was one of the sons of Zebedee. We have uh, Thaddeus. Uh, Thaddeus has a few names, uh, the best we can tell in the Bible. Um, he's also called Judas, and whenever he's called Judas, in parentheses, it'll say, not the Iscariot one. Uh, but if you have a King James Bible, he's also referred to as uh, Labaius. Uh, and then we have, after Thaddeus, we have Simon the Zealot. In your King James Bible, it calls him Simon the Canaanite. And it's because it's from a Hebrew word, kana, meaning zealous or fanatical. And when you look in Strong's Dictionary, that word that defines Simon, it just simply says a member of a fanatical Jewish nationalistic political sect. In other words, he was a, re- a rebel. He was a rebel. This guy was just, you know, on fire. I mean, as far as just promoting the cause of Judaism with whatever means necessary. And so he's, I mean, I'm sure Jesus had to keep this guy on a short leash because he's probably a radical who would have uh, done anything uh, to, uh, to advance the cause of Judaism. But he's one of the guys that Jesus chooses. And then finally, we have number 12 on the list, Judas Iscariot, of course. His name Iscariot is from a combination of two Hebrew words, ish, kirioth. Ish in Hebrew means man. Kiryoth is the name of a city in Judah. So it probably means he was the man of Kiryoth. That's where he grew up or that's where he lived at the time. And, of course, he turns out to be a thief. He steals from the money bag and a betrayer. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So this is the list. These are the 12 guys uh, uh, that Jesus will use to change the world. And uh, literally, uh, their influence is, um, is an incredible thing. And again, when you consider that these are just ordinary people, there was nothing special about these guys. They were a diverse group, uh, but there was nothing particularly special about these guys. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and it kind of speaks to the fact of how ordinary they were. In Acts 4, 13, uh, it talks about how some of the apostles were hauled before the Sanhedrin because they were talking about the resurrected Jesus, and they were evangelizing people. And when they were called to give an account for what they were doing, when they were hauled before the Sanhedrin, in Acts 4.13 it says that when they saw, that is the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took note that they had been with Jesus. And I love that verse because it it talks about how they recognized these guys were just unschooled, ordinary people. And yet what stood out about them was that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. It doesn't matter, you see, what your education, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter anything about you. What matters most is whether or not people can see that you and I have been with Jesus. Because that's what will change the world. When we've been with Jesus and people can see that in us. We don't know anything about you. We can tell. You've been with Jesus. 
These guys didn't have much to offer in and of themselves, but they had everything to offer in that they offered Jesus, the one that they had been with, and that was visible in their own lives. Now, a question that comes up, and I do want to address this before we move on. There's a lot to get into, but, you know, look, um, if we don't get through any of this before Jesus comes, that's great. He can explain it all to you far better than I can. But here's the deal. As you look here at the list of apostles, the question I sometimes get is, are there still apostles today? And that's, that is a fair question. It doesn't, it's not as outlandish as some of you might think. What do you mean, are there, are there still apostles today? I mean, Jesus did say in Acts chapter 4, or it says about Jesus, Jesus didn't say in, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, it says that he, that is Jesus, gave some to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, the list of apostles is within that list of Ephesians 4 that that Jesus has graced the church with. But in, in what real capacity and how are we to understand an apostolic role today? So before we move on, I just want to touch on this briefly so that you understand from a biblical perspective really uh, what would define an apostle. There are two qualifications for an apostle that the Bible tells us. Number one, I posted for you there in Acts chapter 1, It tells us in verses 21 and 22 that one of the qualifications of an apostle is that he must be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. And in Acts chapter 1, 21, this is after uh, the, the apostles, 11 minus Judas, they were in the upper room, they were waiting for the gift that Jesus had promised, not knowing yet anything really about the Holy Spirit, but they're just tarrying there in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. And Peter gets up and he says, you know what, we ought to choose someone to replace Judas. Now, I don't know if that was really a Holy Spirit-inspired moment. They end up casting lots. They end up drawing straws. And they, and they, they uh, decide on a guy by the name of Matthias. And they choose him. They say, you know what, we think that you're the one who's supposed to replace Judas. The problem is, that guy is never heard of again. He doesn't do a single thing. The Bible doesn't record anything about that guy. Zero. It is likely, and you can have your own opinion and be wrong if you want, but it is likely, I'm teasing, I don't, I don't honestly know, but here's what most people believe, and I, and I lean on this interpretation, that really what they did was kind of impulsive, probably goes back to sometimes the way Peter could be, but it seems that the real one that was supposed to be chosen to replace Judas was the Apostle Paul, and it was not yet time. And Paul would be uh, considered an apostle. But the qualifications, then, they're looking at, well, we've got to choose somebody in Acts chapter 1, and here's, and here's what they say in Acts one twenty one. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They must be a witness of his resurrection. That was one of the qualifications to be an apostle. The other qualification is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And it says this, The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. So number two would be that the person has to be able to perform miracles. That was another qualification. So, when you put these two together, I know that in some circles of, of Christianity, you might hear somebody referred to as apostle so-and-so, and, and I would have to say that unless they have visibly seen the resurrected Jesus, and unless they can perform miracles, probably not a title that they should have. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know